Welcome back to the Mulligan Brothers podcast. I am your host, Jordan Mulligan, and today's episode is with the amazing Mark Prince. I had such a connection with Mark Prince from the get-go because he has turned one of the most traumatic experiences in his life into a positive movement to inspire change, make change, and have impact on young men and people around the world. Mark Prince unfortunately lost his son to a knife attack um, some years ago now. And he has an incredible story about going through that process. Also lost his daughter to stillbirth, I believe, as well. And um, he turned that all of that happening to him into a powerful movement to help stop knife crime and do a positive thing for the world. There's a story of how he forgave the attacker of his son, which is some really powerful stuff. And we're going to talk about all of that today. This is the incredible Mark Prince, and I'm so excited to share this with you guys. Today's video was made possible at www.mulliganbrothers.com, where you can get the t-shirts, hoodies, and journals, and the new Memento Mori poster. Use code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off the poster and frame. Uh, It's a poster that reminds you that time is precious on this earth and we must use it wisely. But before that, let's dive into this amazing episode with Mark Prince. Okay, Sound good? Everything good? Yep. So, if you could just tell us who you are, uh, a little bit about what you do, where you've grown up and and what was it like? Okay. Um... Name's, uh, name's Dr. Mark Prince OBE. Um, <clears throat> who am I? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a child of the king. Um, um, I'm passionate about, about life, um, especially young people's lives. <clears throat> I'm passionate about truth. Uh, and sharing the truth about life with young people, the area of their purpose, the qualities and leadership qualities that they have within them. Um, And I feel that my purpose is to free that oppression that I feel is within this system and our society that prevents people from being everything that they were made to be. Um, And that's why we have a lot of the problems that we have currently with young people feeling less than, feeling disenfranchised, getting into crime and not fulfilling their own purpose and their gifts in life for their chase after money and the things of this world. So my purpose, I feel like um, my purpose is to, to, to enlighten, to shed light and to shed love on, in, in a dark place. Because when I look at this planet and how things are and how people treat each other, it can be seen as a pretty dark place. So we need more light in this dark place. So that's my job. And I do it through the Kyan Prince Foundation. I uh, shed that light and shed that love through the Kyan Prince Foundation and that's an organisation in my son's name uh, because sadly my son was taken from us uh, by someone with 
that mindset, who didn't understand his purpose, didn't have no light in his life and took my son's life. And my son had plenty of light, plenty of love, plenty of goodness and understood his purpose. Um, and that was because that was shared with him. The truth was shared with him, who he is, uh, why he's here. And um, I come from, I come from the roads. We call it the roads. Um, Tottenham Wood Green is my haunt, my area, North London. I know very well, even though I'm well versed uh, all around the ends now, south, east, west as well. I'm well versed and known, um, but that's my area that I grew up in. And uh, growing up was was very difficult. But it's funny because when you're when you're poor and you've you've got a lot of hurt going on in your home, and you start realizing that the world's uh, can be quite cruel because you've got grown men in uniform picking on you, going through your bags, accusing you of doing things when you're like eight, nine years old and all you've been told by your mum is to go and get a bag of sugar and whatever at the shops. And then you've got guys driving past in cars, shouting, nigger, wog, go back to your, your country. <clears throat> you, you kind of start... Um, creating or seeing the world in a different way because as a kid you grow up just thinking everyone's cool and you love everyone it's about playing and you play with anyone you don't ask a kid where he's from you just say here's another human being you want to play with him and you want to have fun you accept him you don't care what colour his skin is you don't care what religion he is you know, that's of no interest you see him as another human being and you connect and uh, we, we begin to lose that as we get a little bit older and grow up because the world's teaching us from a child different things about ourselves and about how to see people. Um, so, so I began to change, my mindset began to change and I began to learn that people uh, of, of different colour began to see, saw me in a less, lesser light than they saw themselves. Uh, they saw me as a criminal when I was a child. Uh, they saw me as aggressive uh, when I just wanted to ask questions. They saw me as troublesome um, when I didn't um, do what I was told. Um, so I began to learn that this, <clears throat> this, this country, this life that I'm living, is very different to how I was thinking that it was growing up. So there was her outside the house. Because you go out, you go into school and you get treated differently than the other kids. Uh, my generation was the 70s, um, 70s and 80s, growing up through the school system. And um, yeah, you still got cane in the 70s. <clears throat> and I got the cane. Um, and teachers could be, could be blatantly racist um, and get away with it, you know, way easier. It's, it's more disguised now. Um, it's more of a system set up thing where you can disguise you know disproportionate amount of young black men are in getting expelled from school that's a lot harder to, to be able to say that you're being racist but it's the same it's no different um, but I faced a lot of that at school 
where you know you was being treated differently than the other kids. You get told off and in a harsher manner for misdemeanours where your compatriots, my, my mate Mark Kelly, I don't forget him, he was my best mate at school, this white guy. <clears throat> and I hope he, he's listening. <laughs> How you doing, Mark Kelly? Hope you're well. I haven't seen him for donkeys. Uh, so I hope he's alive and well. Uh, but Mark Kelly was my good mate. I remember going to his house and he showed me his toy set, his train track, and I'd be like, whoa, man. You know, is this, is this guy must be rich. Because <laughs> in my house, you know, you, you made up you made up games. You know, we pretended we were Bionic Man. Dun, 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 dun. We'd be, you know, we, we created games like the banister was the horse. So I'd, I'd be at the top of the banister. Quite dangerous because you could drop down the... Down the uh, the stairs and um you know we just had fun but you know we didn't look at it like we were poor we didn't look at it like uh you know we didn't have we just had fun so going to my my, my friend's house and seeing how he lived you kind of started getting a different idea like what you know these are other people are living and, and stuff like that and even growing up and uh, unfortunately my dad had his own issues he was a great dad but he had his own issues and dealing with um, dealing with his kids with discipline meant, meant for my dad. It wasn't about talking and teaching. It was about expressing uh, dominance by using the belt to, to whip you. And, uh, you know, now as you grow, you understand that he, he must have had his own issues. And, 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 and a lot of people, you know, white people don't understand about our culture that it comes from, you know, some people say, yeah, get over it. Slavery happened years ago. How do you get over something that's Im embedded into your culture for years ago? You know, Willie Lynch's culture is about, you know, us being less than. And, and you've got little children, little white children. You have, to, you have to call them massa. So if you've got that mentality and all you've done is being beaten, obviously you see yourself as less than. You take that on board. So you begin to beat your children. And you think that's the way that you discipline them. So there's been a lot of behaviours that we've taken from slavery into the generations moving forward. And that was one of them, um, being beating your kids um, really aggressively. And, um, and my dad was that and used to leave, you know, strip marks on your back. We used to call it horseshoe. Um, and it was, it, was, it was quite traumatic, you know, being in the house. You know, it was somewhere that... You know, you started to wonder as you got older in 11, 12, 13, you know, you start thinking of ways like, what, you know, why, why here? Why am I, why have I got this life? Why am I born into this family? Why am I, you know, you weren't allowed out, you know, you had to go straight from school, straight home, lunchtime, you know, you let, everyone was eating their lunch, you shot home. I used to run all the way home because I didn't want to miss out the fun, eat my lunch, which was just a bowl of porridge and a bit of homemade bread. Um, and then run back to school in within that hour so you didn't miss out on the school fights, the, the one-bounce beats, the, um, the, 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 the violent football, because, you know, one-bounce beats is about if the ball bounces more than once and everyone playing footballs just steams you and starts kicking the shit out of you. So, you know, that was our fun back then. Um, they're more PC now. Uh, so um, that, that fun, you know, you wouldn't be having that kind of fun now. But, you know, what don't kill you make you stronger. And yeah, you know, a couple of boys ended up getting hospital. You know, Patrick went to hospital with his broken arm. Uh, and, and, you know, some other guy got really hurt. I think twice the ambulance had to come down. Um, but 
But yeah, that was growing up. That was growing up at home. That was growing up at school. And, um, you know, that kind of gives a little bit of a picture into to my life. And, you know, mentally, you don't really understand what's happening to you through that. Because what's happening is that you formulate a story in your mind about who you are, um, your self-beliefs being de- um, developed, your self-esteem is being developed throughout this time. And depending on what your character's like, will 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 differentiate how you end up or turn out throughout that childhood process, being beaten, uh, racism outside the house on a regular basis. Um, you know, how do you turn out? What you know, who, who do you become? because of that so how do you process it and every human mind is different so you know obviously I process it maybe a bit different from my two brothers I've got one younger brother one one older brother Clarence and my younger brother Colin Colin ended up being a kickboxing champion uh, amateur champion and a British cruiserweight uh, kickboxing champion and my my older brother um, he's a really lovely guy he works to help people get into jobs and employment, he does consultancy work. And he loved boxing. He was probably my biggest boxing fan. And um, he was probably one of the best guys to spar with in the gym, but never transitioned into taking it into professional boxing. Always said that the discipline, the hard work, that was, he, he, he couldn't manage that. But um, sparring wise, he had the fastest hands, he was amazing. He had a couple of amateur fights and people be like, whoa, but nerves always got the better of him. So uh, he preferred to stay out of it. So growing up with my two brothers, growing up with my oldest sister, she was the oldest. Uh, we never got on that well growing up. I used to call her the grass. She used to always grass us up. And when she grassed us up, we'd get beaten. So we had this uh, relationship. We was always getting at each other. Um, obviously now you grow up, you're really close. Um, but that was life growing up at home, mum and dad. Um, uh, my mum was absolutely awesome, so calm, so chilled, always trying to save us from my dad. But my dad was such a hard disciplinarian and the way that he fought women was less than and had a role and he was the man and you know he ruled and he didn't understand that being the man of the house meant that you ensured that the love and peace stayed within your home. As the man of the house, you create and ensure that your children are safe, your wife's safe, and they're in a loving environment. And my, my dad didn't understand that. Um, and obviously, poor him, because he had all that background knowledge and what he'd learned from his past and his mum beating him and sending him in the river when um, he come up in Guyana where there's snakes crocodiles and to send your kid in the river that's that's insane you know but that's what his mum used to do with him and um, you know so my dad's gone through a lot himself and um, it's just a, a pity he ain't around now where we could talk more uh, we could go through this process because obviously I've gone through a process of growth where I got to learn and understand things better uh, I was able to forgive him before you know he died um, sadly, at the age of 64, pretty early, uh, he was an ex-fighter. Uh, he he done really well over in this country. Um, in fact, it's funny because um, Eric, who was the matchmaker for um, no Ernie, Ernie Fossey, Eric, sorry, Ernie Fossey, the late great Ernie Fossey, awesome matchmaker for Frank Warren. 
And he told me about my dad. He said, I knew your dad. He had a terrific left hook. He was a really good fighter. Um, he used to stop a lot of the guys in the gym. Uh, champions as well. Uh, he caused a lot of problems. But obviously, being in this country, um, you know, as a black fighter, they weren't the looked-after fighters. They weren't the fighters that got the, the first, you know, choice to take care of and build their careers. So um, my dad got a lot of short notice phone calls and stuff like that. And he weren't ready, but needed the money, so would would take the fight. Um, you were, so yeah. You ended up obviously, obviously lived your life, but you ended yeah. up leaving at home quite early at fifteen. And yeah. Then you, and then obviously you spent some time in the streets, got involved in some mm. stuff you shouldn't have got involved mm. in, and then you managed to kind of turn your life around. Yeah. What What was it like when you was on the streets? How did you feel? Um, Scare, scary. Scary. I was brought up always in the house, you know, you ask your mum and dad, oh, there's a party going on, there's a school this, there's a school trip to Pendarren, no, 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 everything was no. So I weren't used to being out. So all of a sudden I've run away from home and now I'm out. So you remember the stories I used to have my parents talking to me about, be careful, don't, if somebody drives up and wants you, invites you in the car, tries to offer you sweets, run. So I had all those stories and mindset in my house, and it had happened to me. It happened to me at primary school. I still remember the, vividly the white van rolling up. Come on, I'll give you a lift home. You know, here's some sweets. And I'd done what my mum said, just run. Don't talk, run. So it happened to me on, on other occasions as well. I remember, clearly remember the bigger van, transit van, roll up to me on the way, and I ran like the wind, mate. Because, um, you know, someone could just open a door and, grab you and whatever so you you legged it so then you heard a lot about social services and kids being abused and going into homes and I did not want no part of that um, so I found myself just like um, ducking and diving sleeping where there was quiet or not sleeping at all walking the streets um, sleeping at my mates sleeping in a car uh, sleeping in my friend's car the Christian family my friends were really awesome they allowed me to stay at their house a lot of times, so that was a great uh, place, and, and, I, and I'm always so grateful for them for that. They helped me out a lot. I met a guy named Will, Will Dowden um, that used to be a um, social worker, but my friend who was out on the road, he was a real road man, who was always bunning weed, getting into stuff on the streets, robberies, whatever, he, he was with, in care. And he said, go and talk to this black guy. He really looks after kids and he's someone you can trust. And um, obviously back then, um, the 60s, late, late 80s, 60s, late 80s, there weren't very many black people in social services. So it was comforting to have someone like that, a, a face that I could kind of relate to and somebody who understood my background and culture. And he's, I'll never forget, he said, you're different. He goes, you're not like a lot of the other children that I work with and help. Um, said, you're a really nice guy. And he always went out of his way to do everything he could to help me because he said, I weren't just trying to get money out of him. I was never trying to get something off out of him. Um, and he helped me to get a flat by the time I was, I think, 17. Um, I got a flat and he got me into a foster home. Um, and it was funny because when I went to the foster home, the, the guy that was there were, was a trainer for Islington Boys Club. So imagine that, it was like boxing was calling me a long time ago. So my dad's a fighter, he trained me, 
and maybe spar with him or my older brother. Then I, I run away from home and then the foster home I go so happens to have a guy that's a trainer at Islington Boys Club. Um, so he, he obviously tried to get kids into boxing. So he tried to get me into boxing, but it, you know I had no thought of being a boxer. I just thought, you know, this is how life is. Dad's, dad told me, I'm going to teach you how to fight because out there you're going to face problems and you've got to learn to take care of yourself. So that's what dad done. So I, I was using my skills for that. So people by then, by that age, people knew me that Prince, boy, he could put, he can, he can throw hands. And um, so when he talked to me about the club, I went down there. I thought, all right, let me see what it's like. Because I've never been to a boxing gym in my life. I was 16 by the time I, I linked up with them at the foster home. So I went down to the gym. It was cool. And so I thought, let me go back again. But by then, guys had introduced me to weed and, and, and drinking. <clears throat> so it was just the one thing I never thought I'd ever do. Because I used to go at the, at the school, back of the school hut to the kids that used to smoke cigarettes and I used to pretend I was smoking a cigarette, take it off and drop it on the floor, crush it and say, stop smoking, it's not good for you. And because they knew I could throw hands, they, even though they were angry as hell, like, are you taking my last cigarette? They knew they couldn't do anything because I'll bang them up. So I used to get away with shit like that. But now you see, now I'm 16, I'm out on the streets, I'm starting to, to, to smoke weed. And, and I was drinking tennis. I remember going down, this is so mad. I went down to Islington Boys Club and I had a tin of Kestrel or Tenants on me that I was drinking and I was stupid enough to, to go into the club with it. They went nuts. Saw me get pissed off out of here. That's not how we do things in here, blah, blah, blah. And um, I just thought, all right then, you know, whatever, mate. So I, I went and I never went back. Never went back to Islington. So I could have been an Islington Boys Club fighter as an amateur from 16 years old. But from then till 21... I got deeper into more drugs, got deeper into crime and um, just got myself into problems, got a criminal record, um, <clears throat> really established myself sort of on the streets. Um, but I was all about making money, really. I weren't all about trying to join a gang. I didn't want to be a bad man, none of that. I just wanted, I wanted to aspire because when I left home, I, it's funny because I had this feeling about myself as a kid. I can't miss this out because it's really important. When I, was, when, I was really, when I was really young, I don't know why, but I just felt, I just had this feeling about me. I remember we, my mum used to take us to church and I used to look at the guy on the, the front, on the rostrum, preaching. And I used to feel like that was where I was going to be. And I, I used to always imagine myself on the rostrum speaking to the people. This happened a lot when I was young, but didn't know what that was about. I just had this feeling and just felt like I was going to be someone. I remember there was this song by um, Atlantic Star called Silver Shadow. And the words were always talking about that you, you are a special light. And, and I loved the song. And you were going to be someone. And, and it just kind of drew me. And I'd rewind it and rewind it. And these times I'd, I'd run away from home. I'd Maybe as someone put me up on their city. And I clearly remember rewinding this song and loving it every day I played it. But little did I know my future. Um, but, but looking back, I realised the significance of the song. The thoughts when I was sitting down as a kid, looking at the guy at the top speaking. So I'm saying that because there's other kids out there that have got thoughts 
and dreams and maybe aspirations of becoming, but they, they could be shaped and told that you can't do this, you can't achieve that, you can't do that, and it gets stolen off them through that process. And I'm just here to, to let them know, hold on to that. Don't matter what goes on and what shit you find yourself involved in, don't let go of that. Because going through my crime, going through the drugs, going through that process, I ended up at 21, six years of madness. Um, and I call it that for a reason, because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my purpose and I didn't know where I was going and I didn't know that I had potential and great gifts and I believe every single individual has been made with purpose. That's got purpose. The chair we're sitting on, everything's made with purpose. So how can the greatest thing God made not have purpose? Me and you. God's gift of life is me and you. And how can that not have purpose? So I know that we all have got special gifts. So um, at 21, after spending a night of just taking drugs, I must, I must have been on the pipe with my mates. And um, I just felt that my life, where's it going? I began to ask myself questions. Like, what's going on with you, P? This is not what you had dreamt about when you was a kid. This is not what you wanted. You're letting your mum down. Because uh, obviously my relationship with my dad wasn't the best we talked we talked but it weren't the best and my relationship with my mum was always special always tight she was the one that stayed up late crying praying for me asking god to keep me safe so i'd always check my mum even if my dad didn't allow me in the house i'd wait for her at the end of the road when she came out i'd see her so we get to talk so i had this this moment this very changing moment in my life where i thought about me and I thought about my future. And every young person needs to have this moment where they think about themselves. Forget your friends. Forget your ends. Forget your postcode. You, 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 you've got no connection with that, bro. The, the connection is why you're on this planet. And you've got to ask yourself the question, what are you here for to do? What impact are you here to make? Because we're all here to make positive impact. And when I answer those questions, I realize I have to turn away from drugs. I have to turn away from crime. I have to stop shutting because I can't proudly tell my mum what I do to make money. How do I dress myself? How do I take care of my children? Because by 21, I had Tanisa and Kyan. And my kids meant the world to me, the world to me. And I wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to be a good dad. Why? Because I had a volatile relationship with my dad and my dad taught me what not to be, what, you know, how, how not to deal with your kids. So now I had this new uh, thought in my head that I could be someone away from the roads, away from crime, away from the usual people that I move with and I could take charge of my life and I could create something different for myself. And I knew how hard that was going to be. And it was scary, but I didn't think about it too deeply. Because if you do, you'll run off, you'll run away, you'll turn from it. You'll find excuses why you're not going to be able to do it. So 
I would always, because of that lesson I've learned, I will always say to people, if you feel that you can do something, don't think about how. Don't think about what you're doing currently and how you're going to stop. Just decide what you're going to do. The answers will come. And I decided that I've got to get away from all of this bullshit and I've got to make something of myself. I just decided that I want to fight. I don't know why, probably based on the fact that I didn't believe that at the time I was smart enough to go uni and had the time to go uni and earn money and look after my kids. I didn't believe in that, that, that um, journey. What I did believe is that I could, I could go down the route of boxing and in getting paid to fight and then being able to have a work to look after my children. I did believe that. So because I did believe that, I began this journey of what do fighters do? They go running. Okay, I've got to go running. What else? They go to the gym. I've got to go to the gym. I've got to train hard. I've got to watch film clips of them. I've got to immerse myself into becoming this person. And then the discipline of it started, you know, coming into play. Like wow, what level of this, because it's not like I knew everything before I made the decision, I didn't, I just said I'm going to do it, obviously you've got an idea of what it takes to be a boxer, but you really have no idea until you begin, so I didn't realise that I really loved smoking weed that much until it was time to stop, I think it was easier for me to stop going out, sucking on a crack pipe, with certain men, stop taking E, stop taking acid tabs, because they were harder, stronger and more damaging, sniffing and stuff like that. So it was like, somehow I managed to just cut that. Like, that's dead to me, you know, because there's no way that I can, can become a great fighter sniffing, taking, a, you know, taking drugs. So that was gone. The weed, I had to wean myself off neatly and do it differently. So I'd, instead of smoking how many spliffs throughout the day, I would decide to have one and try and make it last. My friends would laugh at me. How do you, what are you putting the spliff out for? Because I'm trying, I'm starting running now. And the more I ran and the more I realised I was dead and I was vomiting and couldn't, you know, do one lap and then it turned to doing one lap and doing two and doing three, is the more I valued my fitness and the more I didn't want to spoil it by smoking. Can you talk me through that feeling of like when you are, when you're throwing up and you can't go again? What's it feel like? How do you push yourself through that feeling? Because it's not easy. The routine no, and discipline not. come into play. Yeah, I think that your want and need and desire to achieve your goal has to be stronger than everything else that comes against you. So what was happening, whatever was going on with me that was horrible, that made me uncomfortable, that I didn't like, and what you hear people say, oh, that's too hard. Everything that made me feel like that, I would envision my end goal. And I would realise that, are you going to allow this to get in the way of the pleasure of reaching this goal? And every time I had that thought, I would keep going. Every time when I was running and I felt like everything just said, you need to stop now. And I'd say, yeah, but I set that target down there. I knew that if I reached that target, the feeling I was going to get 
to reach the goal that I'd set was going to develop me and build me up. So I just kept going and I knew that I was building something in me that was becoming strong and mighty. And even though I didn't know how good, I just knew there was something in me that said, this is better than what you've currently got. And to get what you want, you're going to have to go through this pain, these feelings of disgust and giving up. Because your body feels like it actually physically can't do anything else. It can't do no more. It's telling you, stop. I I don't want to take another step. I can't breathe. I feel sick. And you just keep going. Because the worst thing you're going to happen is you're going to vomit. And keep going. The worst thing happens is you're going to seize up, get cramped. But it doesn't say you can't keep going. Nothing says that. And then you can find out what you're made of. And through these daily exercises, I was finding out that, wow, I've got a lot of uh, belief in me. Like, I can do this. And then every hurdle that I jumped over that said you can't do it made me a bit more stronger. So I was becoming stronger every day. And there was less weed. um, Then there was less company or being around the guys that kept me on the roads and I, 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 my, my very spirit and soul demanded that I, I be around guys with the same vision as mine. So my company started to expand. I began to be around other fighters. I met a guy named Cham Juf, CJ, the wild African. He won the Southern Area title as a lightweight um, back in the 90s, the early 90s. And we, me and him became really close. So now I had somebody else away from my normal haunts. My best mate, Richie Craigie, uh, Kevin. um, You know, I had loads of guys that I was around. Mark Grant, who's nicknamed Slider. These are the guys that that I was kind of around. But I was affecting their lives because they saw me coming away from the roads and crime and saw me getting into boxing. So that was like a... Like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? And even though people on the roads, the word was like, well, how can you box, bro? You're a ganja baby. All you did is smoke weed. How can you box? Even though it was negative, um, I knew that my friends saw that belief that I was definitely going to do this. And then when you invite them to, f- to my first fight, which was phenomenal, um, I got it on a CD somewhere. My first fight, crazy put me against this guy that was undefeated in seven fights. He was a beast, had legs like this. Two of my legs made one of his, strong. And he just chased me. And um, all I used was my belief in myself and my ability. And I had this thing in me, I cannot lose this fight. Whatever you do in this fight tonight, I would rather die than lose. And I boxed going back. I was so thankful that I, I had this gift of boxing going backwards. I could knock you out and throw right hands, walking back, dancing back. And I realised later on that this wasn't something that was a norm in boxing, moving and being able to throw punches at the same time while you're moving. But this was natural to me because I've been doing this from when I was a kid. So that's what won me the fight. And my heart, that when he really pressed me, because I was finished from round one, There was nothing left. My chest was burning. I'll never forget this burning feeling in my chest. It was like a lighter was on my chest, bro. And it was round one. And I remember my legs was doing all funny stuff, walking back to the corner. 
And I thought, shit, I've got another two rounds, six minutes of this, I'm already done. I'd had sex the night before, so I broke the golden rule. So I'd already screwed up. So I knew I was just screwed in every way, shape or form. So all I had was this belief that was going to push me to make my body do something that physically was telling me that I can't do this. I can't go for another six minutes throwing punches and dancing. But your mind. Do you strongly believe that when your body's saying that you can't go anymore, how much more is left after that point? You'll find out when you push yourself more. That's the only time you find out. Because I listen to other guys who have achieved and done great things, whether they've been runners, athletes, businessmen, and they believe that their, their bodies and minds or other people set a standard and a limit for them. But I think we don't realise as human beings that we're limitless in terms of mentally, spiritually, we're limit. We can achieve stuff way beyond what we imagine. We've been conditioned on this, with this system to believe that we're just here to get up, we grow up, we get a job, we die, we, you know, we, we're in the greatest over. You, we, we retire, we do all this rubbish, and that's it. We're not taught that we're amazing, we're powerful, we're intelligent way beyond our belief. We're not brought up in school. That wasn't taught to me in school. That prince, even if you don't do that well at your exams, that doesn't distinguish you and set your bar for what you can achieve. You know, it's your mind, the power of your mind and your belief that allows you to set the standards for yourself. So I was now in an area where I began to set my own standards and training allowed me to do that because in my own head, I was the boss now. And when I was out running or I was in the gym punching the bag or when I was doing groundwork and press-ups, it was like I heard Ali say, I started counting when I got tired. I started counting when I felt the pain. So the other stuff I'd done didn't count when I felt good. It didn't count. What counted was when I was tired. So now I was facing that in reality in a fight. And what counted was these two rounds because I'd spent myself in the first round. I was done in three minutes. Now I've got six more minutes. What are you made of, P? And I showed myself. And I wouldn't let this guy, I wouldn't let this guy get the better of me. I wouldn't let him take over the fight. Every time he, his strength, uh, which he seemed stronger than me, was going to pin me in a corner, I'd just hold him. And the ref would break us up then I'll be the first to punch, first to punch, and then when he punched, I punched. So he'd, if I started first, I'd finish last. If he started first, I'd finish last. So I was always showing the judges that I'm the man, I'm in charge, and, um, and the fight went my way, and it really showed me something about me, you know? And um, I think to, to, to really give you a picture of what helped me along my journey, because we need help. I remember my first sparring partner was Michael Watson. And Michael, after sparring, came to me and said, you're going to be a champion one day. And what that does for a kid uh, who's just come from the roads and been homeless, it does immense things for your psychological you know, framework, how you're feeling. Because this is a guy that I found out that had been Commonwealth champ, was, was, gonna, was fighting, he'd fought Nigel Benn, he'd beaten him, 
Um, or did he fight him after? No, I think he fought him already because soon after he was fighting he was fighting Eubank. He had the two fights with Eubank. So I knew him for the first fight and the second fight. So for him to tell me you're going to be a champ, because in the third round of our boxing, he had to start going to my body to, to slow me down and break me up because he said you were giving me kittens in the first two rounds. He goes, I found it hard to, to settle you down and get you where I wanted. So he goes, I know you've got a brain for boxing because you're going to be champs. So and that, that helped me along my journey. So whatever people said to me, didn't care. We, we, we got to block that shit out. There's always someone who don't believe in your vision. They don't matter. You know, it could be parents. It could be your closest friends. They don't matter. All that matters is what you believe, what you think of yourself. So you've got to create your own story. You've got to create your own vision. You've got to create your own plan. And then you've got to be the boss. We are the boss of our own lives, our own destiny, everything. So I went for it. And I went for it every time I fought. I went for it every time I went running. I went for it every time I went in the gym. I went for it. I gave 100%. Because I knew if I'd done it then, you put me in the spotlight, I'm going to do it there. Because I'm doing it behind the scenes where no one's watching me. I'm giving 100% when no eyes are on me. I could get away with giving up when I'm tired. I've done, done my groundwork. I've done my sit-ups. I've done my press-ups. I went running, but no one knows I didn't give 100% when I went running. They just know I went running. My trainer could ask me, did you go run this morning? Yeah, bro. But I know I gave 100% when I went running and I left nothing out there. So when I go into fights, bro, you got to finish me off. you got to put me to sleep to beat me. That's the only way I'll accept it. I'll accept the loss, but I know I'm sleeping. Because as long as I can breathe and as long as I, my eyes can open, I'm getting up. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're enjoying it so far, please consider supporting us at www.mulliganrose.com where you can get the t-shirts, hoodies and journals and the Memento Mori poster. Use code PODCAST for 10% off the poster and frame where all the profits go back into creating this content. But let's dive back into the conversation. One thing I want to ask you, and you kind of spoke about it already before, is is obviously you're going to have people who doubt you. You got into boxing late. A lot of people yeah. would have doubted you, but you had a mad amount of self-belief. So you have obviously have these doubters on one hand, yeah. but then you have your self-belief which drives you through. Yeah. How do you combat these doubters and how do you get this self-belief and how important is that self-belief to kind of drive you forward to be successful? First, I'll tell you how you combat the doubters. Um, I was, and then I'll tell you where the belief came from. I um, was in the gym skipping. I was training for Monty Wright, who was tipped to win the ABAs. And it was the London semi-finals. And that was where they said my journey ended. They said, you done really well. When I say they, I'm talking about a few guys, three guys in particular, I don't know who they were, where they were from, came into my gym in Tottenham and was watching me. I was thinking, who are these guys watching me? Okay, that's not strange. People come into gyms and watch you. Um, and they just all of a sudden started talking, say, yeah, you're that guy Prince, innit? So I was skipping, I just nodded, yeah. Said, yeah, you're good, man, you're good. Um, but you see the guy you're facing, he's probably gonna win the ABAs. You can't beat him. He's, he's represented England, 
He started to share his resume with me. Like I gave a shit about his resume. I did not care. I just looked at him and after they said, yeah, you know, you're doing well, come back next year. You're going to do better next year, but this guy is going to stop you. I just said, he's never met me. He's never been in the ring with me. And he's going to soon find out. That's all I said to him. He ain't met me. And these guys walked away. And I was smiling when I was skipping because they didn't realise they made me more determined than ever. I put on the best display of my amateur career against Monty Wright. First round, Monty Wright came out low, shifting, looked really nice. But I was moving and I was jabbing and it was beautiful. And he couldn't get near me. The end of the first round, he got a bit closer. He got a bit closer, but I knew he got a bit closer, but I won that round. So because he got a bit closer in the end of the first round, I knew you're coming in closer for the second round. You're going to build on that. Second round comes in, my man's coming right into a space that you don't need to come because I know how to throw an uppercut. And my dad's always told me when they bend down low, bring them up high, bring the left hook straight across and the right hand down the pipe. And Monty Wright got that combination. As I was going back, throwing the jab, he slipped, came inside and he really meant to throw, slip and throw a left hook. But it was bam, 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 bam. Every single one of them hit him, nailed him. Bro, I still got the picture. He's like a star shape, just looking up at the heavens with his eyes closed. For a split second, mate, the arena was silent. And then, that, then it broke out with all of my people. I'm sure it shocked even all my people because they knew that was the fight, um, make or break. And it was my easiest fight, my easiest fight. Do not listen to people that come and tell you that you can't do something. And my belief came from a drive that I had to go back into my earlier vision and dream of that I was someone that, that, that I, I, I was going to make an impact on this planet. I was here to do something. That lost thought and dream, I bought into it again. And now I've got two kids. So now I've got petrol. I've got turbo boost to really ignite me. That whenever I feel like, nah, because we all got moments where we feel like, this ain't working. Because remember, I was doing run-ins. I was making money. I was a hustler and a good one. And I, my hustling kept my kids with loads of toys, clothes, everything. Now I'm struggling. I ain't got no money. Amateur boxing ain't paying me. But my vision kept me going. My drive, that's why I had such a short career. I tried to fast track my way through to a professional so I could start earning money. That was the goal. That was the plan. And my drive was my children. I imagined them at seven, eight, nine, ten. Dad, what do you do? What's your job? Boom, boom, boom. And what am I going to say, bro? What am I going to say to my kids? What am I going to say to my boy when he's getting, he's doing the wrong things? What am I going to tell him to do the right things when I'm not? Bro, you can't tell your kids about how to live when you're not living that life. You've got to live that life. Kids ain't listening to you. Kids are watching you, bro. Kids are watching you. They see how their parents interact. They're learning. You can say to your kids, oh, you've got to be loving to your, you know, your, your, your husband or your wife. You've got to be you know, good to your partner. 
but they see you drinking, boxing up your partner, getting mad, shouting, swearing, just going nuts. The house is anarchy, you've got no happiness in there and you're trying to tell your kid how to, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So I knew that and I realised that I've got to show my boy that he's got it in him to become anything that he can be. So I got to be it first. So my drive was always my children, my vision as a youth that, that I was going to be someone. This pushed me. So you've got to have a driving force, you know, and we can all find something that will push us. And I wanted my mum to be proud of me. I love my mum to bits. You know, you've got to understand, my mum said to my dad, he threatened that you have to abort this kid. And my mum stood up to my dad. I told you about my dad. He's not easy to stand up to. But she said, you're going to have to leave me and I'll bring these kids up on cornmeal porridge. Cornmeal porridge is a porridge that we have in our, in our culture a lot. So I'll bring them up on that if I have to. So basically we're saying, listen, I don't care if I'm broke. If I ain't got nothing, I'll bring my, my kids up and I'm going to have this boy. I'm going to have this kid. She didn't know whether I was boy or girl. So she had me. And when I learned that story, when I got older, my mum shared it with me. Obviously, it, it made me appreciate my mum even more because I realised, wow, I might not even have been here. So there's even more reason for me to be here. So I've got to do this. And I really wanted to make mum proud. So my life changing was beginning to see the joy on mum's face apart from the stress that mum used to, I used to see on my mum's face and the worry that she had for me. So that's where my belief came from. My belief came from my kids, my, my, my belief in myself that I could be somebody and, and my mum. You know, those are my driving force and I think we can all find things that will drive us. And if we've got no one in our lives, let yourself drive you. Believe in yourself. You had a massive turnaround, you turned your life around massively, you had a great boxing career yeah. and you spoke about one of your main dri your driving forces, one of your main motivations being your children. You described it as a fight that you couldn't train for, something that you couldn't prepare for and then something happened to you which, which for me became very inspirational as you managed to take something which is very negative and turn it into something positive. How much of the stuff that you learnt in the past had prepared you for what was going to happen to you with your son? Everything. Everything. Um, I buried my, my baby before Cayenne. Um, my mum had a blood clot to her brain a year before my son died. That They said that she might not survive the operation. Um, she had a stroke. One side was gone. Uh, my journey and becoming a fighter and turning my life around. All of these, the whole of my journey, bro. I tell you, sometimes we go through things, yeah? And people are going to be listening to this and they, they know they're going to go through stuff and they're going to think, why? But you don't know the future. And the bad stuff we think have come to break us and kill us and stop us. And people mess up and want to commit suicide and end their life. And they don't know the great future that they had if they could only get through the shit that they're going through. And, and, and every bit of the shit that I went through helped me. Because even though you can't really prepare for a phone call that says your son's been stabbed and you can't really prepare for seeing your boy on 
the cold hospital bed uh, and he's going cold. He goes from warm to cold. His lips turn from pink to blue. He goes from moving body to a stiff face and you can't prepare for that, bro. When everything you've done, now that's my investment. I invested in his future. I invested in his life. And to see him laid there quiet and still. It's something that if you've not, not been through the way that you've described it, is, to be honest. Listen, bro, let me tell you something, yeah? I used to talk with my mates back in the day when I was on the roads, yeah? And I used to say to we used to talk, we used to just have conversations, banning we talking. And I remember one conversation come up about, what, you know, because a lot, a lot of my other friends had kids as well, yeah? And um, we'd say, what would you do if, something, if someone troubled your kids, if something happened to one of your kids, if someone violated your kids? Bro, man was swearing to go jail for life, kill the person, and I meant it. I, I wasn't playing. I, I, I wasn't the kind of guy that would make threats and just talk and then do nothing. If I said you were going to get banged, you were going to get banged. And I meant every word of it. I would go inside and I'd do my bird with a smile because you can't take one of my kids. My kids were my world. <clears throat> my children were my world, bro. Um, and bro, to be one of the people that was actually in that situation. Your worst nightmare that you would speak about like it would never happen to you. You'd see other people on the telly and it happened to them. But you was never going to be that person. Even though you'd say, oh gosh man, I fall for them. And you knew it could happen to anyone. To be honest, you never really thought it was going to happen to you. And no one does. No one does. When they see these things, they feel sorry for people. But you never think you're next. Never. I was next. I was going to be the next parent who was going to be on TV talking about their child that had been stabbed to death. And, wow, man, what a, what a world I entered into. Because it was um, plagued with demons, bro plagued with demons, ready to take over. And just the demon of anger, bruv, and revenge. He's a strong bastard. Whoa. He will come and take over your life and drain you. The demon of unforgiveness will take over and rinse every bit of love out of you. It will take away your, your personality, bruv. It will take away your joy. Um, and I was up against these demons, bro. That was, was trying to take the very essence of my life away from me and my purpose. Um, and by then, obviously, I'd, you know, boxing had gone. I'd had an injury to my leg. I'd been out of boxing from 2000, had a really bad injury. They reconstructed my knee. And I was 19 wins and one loss. And um, I was number one under the, in, in the WBO and were rated in the top 10 by other governing bodies. And I was a force to be reckoned with. And then strip, um, my career was, was over. And they told me, the consultant said, you've got, no, 
you got no career. So being in that position, so six years into that, I'd been trying to find my place in life again. So it's almost like I'd gone back to square one. I'd built, gone back to square one, and now got stripped in the most horrendous way. I'm supposed to be done out here. I'm supposed to be done out here, bro. No career, no son, bro. I ain't supposed to be sitting here with you, man. And that's the thing that I find strength in is the fact that for me, the, the things that have happened to you, people would not get out of bed. People would consider maybe jacking it in. What you've done from that moment there, and I'm sure it wasn't an instantaneous thing, but how you've drived on with, you know, the Kai and Prince Foundation and the work that you've done with, with people to make awareness and bring awareness to kind of the problems that are going on in people's lives and pioneer forward. How did you get that strength and where did it come from? I used the, um, I used all that negative energy. I used everything that I had. I cried out to the same creator that made me, that had purpose for my life. I cried out to him. And I said, I give up. I, I let go, basically. I let go. The things that I was chasing in life, the revenge I wanted for my son, I let it all go. I went like this, bro. I'm done. I'm done. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? Show me. I'm here. I'm here, innit? Because my, my, my feelings, these emotions of revenge and killing and planning to break his neck in court and all of this stuff, it's not going to bear no fruit. It's not going to do nothing for my kids. It's not going to do nothing for me. It's not going to... I become like the guy. I, I, you know, I was angry with him and what he created and caused. And then I wanted to create and cause the same thing. Sense broke in. And I gave up. Said, whatever, man. I'm done. Um, you take over. And when I said it... I was in a place of deep sorrow, deep sorrow. Court case number two had just got thrown out of court. My own family was pissed off with me because I said something to a juror, so they bung the case out. And it was just messy. I was at my lowest. And there was no hope. So I cried out for the one person that there may be hope with. And it was the unseen God that people told me ain't real, that I was believed that, uh, I was taught to believe that I wasn't created specially and a big bang and I came from a monkey and I came out millions of years, billions of years and you know, there wasn't this personal creator that personally made me with purpose and I, and I, I contacted him. I contacted and reached out to a power higher than me because I realized no human could help me. Uh, this was a power that I needed that was like no other. And something happened at that moment that I can't explain. I can only share with people. 
And what happened is a light feeling. It was like uh, I had things on my back as I was like this crying and I became light and felt this floating light feeling like someone just took stuff off me and, and, and the tears stopped. And I said, Phew. I exhaled. Didn't know what that was about, but knew something happened. Couldn't explain it. But I began to see, I began to see the reality of it when I went back to court for the third trial and I didn't have the same passion to kill, the same passion to screw the family, his mom, his dad, whoever was in there for him. I used to just snarl at them like, say something to me, I'm going to break something. I'll be like that every day in court and that was gone. Don't ask me how, don't ask me what, that was gone. So I was like, ooh, okay. Okay, and then because I remember saying to God, okay, show me what you got for me. What do I do? When the phone rang, when I started getting calls about appearing to do a talk at a school with parents and children, that was baffling because why are you contacting me? Where'd you get my number? Where'd you get my contact details? You know, I'm not a speaker. I'm a, I knock people out. I don't talk with people. Why are you? So that was made me go, hmm, what's going on here? So then I remembered what I said to God and thought, I said, well, suppose there's a connection here somewhere. And remember, I'm not a religious man. I don't really do religion. My, my thing is staying connected because then I don't get confused with what everybody else is doing and saying because there's a lot of confusion out there, religion. Follow me, follow me, follow me. But then when you understand that there's a God that sent to send the man Christ Jesus to show you how to live. And when I've seen that this man's spent life looking after the oppressed, freeing people from all sorts of disease, oppression, illness, the system, and showing people how to love everybody else like yourself, I wanted to connect with that. So I connected with him. And when I said, you take over, and I saw these little signs, I took them as that, signs. So I said, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go to the school. I'll speak. I didn't know what to say. So I made a pact with my creator. And I like to refer to him as the manufacturer of human beings because everything's manufactured. So um, I said to the manufacturer of human beings, okay, here's the deal. If this is you, then you, I'm not a speaker. I don't know what to say. You put it in me. When I open my mouth, I need you to let the words come out of my mouth that you want me to say. Cause I don't know how to do this. So that was my deal with God. But I never forget, I was at the back waiting to come out and I shite myself. I was sweating. My palms, my mouth went dry. Bro, I was out there speaking and it, I felt like I was doing this because words were getting stuck in my mouth. But I remembered reading a book, feel the fear and do it anyway. Get that book. I'll tell anyone with anxiety, fear issues, all of that. Get the book, feel the fear, do it anyway, yeah? And I remembered, do it anyway. Don't try to, we, we try to tackle the fear. We try to get rid of the fear. We try to fight it. Yeah, I'm this, I'm strong, I'm not fearful. And we try to use all these words. No, bruv, no, you're scared. Accept you're scared. 
but know that that there's a power that you want to achieve beyond fear. That fear, you will not allow fear to control, but you will dance with the fear. You'll roll with that fear. You'll say, okay, I'm scared, but whatever the fear and embarrassment fear brings out in me, it's not going to stop me. I'm going to do it still. So I went out there and I've done it still. And I can't remember what I even talked about. But I do remember men, dads, mums coming up to me, embracing me, telling me how that impacted them, how, they had it, how it, 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 it really helped them with what they're going through with their children, home, and just to be able to see what's going on with, with knife crime and whatnot. So obviously I addressed some of those issues because I was passionate about families. I was passionate about what's going on and how kids are carrying knives. And the kids came up to me and loved it. And these are primary school kids, so I thought, oi, this, you know, something's happened here. So I began to kind of buy into that maybe this is something that is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I went along this journey and, you know, beyond my expectations, the phone calls kept coming in. And I talked with Tracy about starting a charity. Um, she said, you know, go ahead, you know, go for it. Do what you want to do, what you do. If you feel passionate about it, go for it, Mark. And, um, and I did, I did. And while I was doing Put the Knives and Guns Down, which was a London Tonight special with um, McDonald's, Trevor McDonald, uh, about the knives. And I'd done it with Chris Rogers. He was a journalist. Um, it was a great piece. It was really powerful. And I got to spend time with other parents who had gone through what I'd gone through and it really opened my eyes and I began to go to solicitors and try to, um, to, try to get them to help me to open up a, a charity and go, go through the legal you know, process to get the charity opened and everything's a challenge so everything I've been through had an impact on the challenges that I faced in life and because I'd not given up, because I'd been knocked down and got up and come back and won and because I'd been knocked down in a fight and lost and woke up when the fight was over and all of that, I knew that it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to fail, it's okay because failure ain't that until you give up. Failure is a learning lesson, we need to reframe our belief about failure, reframe it and put a different story behind it and watch it empower you and to, and, and to, stop, and to stop freezing you up because that's what failure does. When you look at yourself as a failure, you're frozen. You're like you put yourself in the freezer. What can you do? You know, you can chill, put yourself in the fridge and let it chill you for a bit, but you've got to defrost and come out and get back into action. You know, you can't allow it to freeze you up. And with that belief that failure means that you're nothing, you're nobody, you can't make it, you can't do it, it, it prevents you from moving on. It prevents you from moving on. And that's why I had to reframe this whole word failure. And I realized that you're not a failure. Okay, you didn't win that world title against Darius Mikuchowski. Don't mean you're a failure. So I came back stronger. I learned from him and I took on the jab that he, that he put on me. I took that jab on and started to demonstrate a more a solid jab. It's like I added some of what he had to my toolbox to make myself a better fighter. Unfortunately, my career came to a short end, but then again, I did come back in 2013, and maybe, you know, when you're, when you're ready and in time, we could talk about that. Um, 
But yeah, yeah, that's some of the, the things that helped me to keep going and to get through the mess that I was in. Um, it was definitely God, but it was definitely understanding of the process of life. And without the understanding of the process of life, we give up. We throw in the towel. You know, that's why I love Fury's story. And I know, I know it's boxing. But when I saw him go down, my first words was, God, raise him up. As I looked at the screen, I had to get him on his feet, God. I didn't believe that was Fury's end. I did not believe it for a second. And I went like this to the screen. And let me tell you something, bro. He's a believer. Because you can't be a believer and wake up from that knockdown. Come on now. I don't care whether you believe in God or not. It's irrelevant. When you see that, you know there's a God. The man said he believes in God. He woke up from a knockdown you've never seen. I've seen people get put to sleep with one of those combinations that Wilder threw. One. He threw the left hook, which is a finisher. It's a good night. Wake up in, a, in about half an hour. That's the left hook. But the other pun, the right hand was enough. He didn't need the left hook. But then he got the left hook. Bro, Fury looked like he was in the grave. Done. He got up, bro. Okay? That should show everybody, that's me. That's a picture of me in life. I'm done. I've been abused. I'm done. I've been given up on. I'm done. My parents didn't sort look after me. I'm done. Someone got me into selling drugs on the roads, on country lines. I'm done. There's no hope for me. I've got a criminal record. How am I going to become a businessman? How am I going to have a chance? I'm done. No, you're not done. You're not done, bro. It's the start. Reframe the story, bro. It's in our control to reframe our story. Why do we buy the story that we're given? Why do we give up on this gift called life so easily and allow the pain to stop us from moving on into our great future, man? We got this. We got control. We're a special creation and we give up and we throw it away so easy. That's why I can't give up and I can't throw it away because I realise that I'm special, that I'm made by a special power. And we all are, every single one of us. Look at the gift that you have got to come together and formulate this vision of creating something wonderful to give a platform for other people. What would we do without you three? Do you understand me? You've got a special place on this planet. What you do, there's loads of people doing it, but not like you, not like you and not like you. You do it your way. And that's what I want people to understand. There's no one on the planet like you. No one. They, got, they ain't got your DNA. They ain't got your fingerprints. They, can't, they haven't got your tone, the way you do things. They're not like you. So you can't decide to throw in the towel and, and, and get, out, get out the game of life. You can't do that. You're robbing us of what you've been given, what's hidden inside you. There's a hidden leader in all of us. There's gifts in all of us. Why don't we tap into it? Forget what this world has taught us to fall in line. Do as you're told. No. Think for yourself. Step out of line. 
feel that freedom and power of stepping out of line and saying, wait a minute, hold on, what you're saying doesn't make sense. What you're saying is not right. You're taking away my constitutional right to live life on my terms. And that's what benefits everybody else. We impact on everybody else's life by taking ownership of ours, by using our gifts and our talents, by treating everybody the way we like them to treat us. The problem is, bro, we're not loving ourselves. We ain't been taught to love ourselves. Bro, you have to know who you are first. You have to recognize who I am and accept that you're loved. That means you love you. By reframing that story, that everything that you've told yourself about life, how you got dealt with, how growing up was, or your relationships, all the stories you told yourself that end up being with a negative outcome, reframe it and give it a new outcome that benefits you and empowers you. I reframe my dad's story and my dad ain't don't love me. Look at the way he beats me. Look what he does to me. He don't love me. He don't care about me. I reframed it. Dad needs help. Dad's unfortunate because he didn't get to enjoy the blessings of young men that came out of his seed and grew up into grown men. My dad had three kings. He didn't know there was a champion in his nutsack. He didn't know that. My mum didn't know she had three kings coming out of her womb. So unless you do the job right, then you're going to find out. They done, my, my dad got his part wrong. But that doesn't mean if I don't walk in the right steps in believing in myself that I can't still bear fruit and find out who I really am. Daddy didn't show me, but I showed me because I believed and understood that I'm a special created being. That's very important to have great self-esteem. Forget the esteem that others put on you because normally they don't. We need to put esteem on ourselves. What do we do when we hear people talking positively about themselves? Oh, he's arrogant. You know, he thinks too much of himself. No, he doesn't. You know, what's wrong with talking about how much you love yourself? Because you're, you can only love people at the level that you love yourself, bro. You can't love me more than you love you. You can't. So all these people that are talking about, oh, I love you, really? Do you love yourself? The question is, isn't do you love me? It's do you love you? Once I know you love you, bruv, I already know that I'm going to receive good love and good treatment from you because I know that you love and respect yourself. You're not going to get a knife and hurt you. You're not going to do anything to abuse your body. You're not going to hurt other people like that because you care about yourself. You care about your children and your family. It's an expression of you. So we need to focus on ourself first. I needed to focus on me, how I was dealing with me, and then I was able to go to the children. If I didn't forgive Hanad, I'm going to meet other Hanads. I'm going to meet other Hanads who've done just what he done. They might not be Hanads, but they're just like him. Why? Because they share the same mindset. That's what connects us, mindset. So for my love me, you love you, you love you, that means that we all want to do positive things in life. We all want to share and help people. So now this world's going to be a greater place because of the way we think. You want to change the quality of your life? Change the quality of your thinking. Remember what my thinking was like on the roads? Uh, you can't be a businessman. Uh, you can't make it out there. You can't make six figures in life. Those jobs aren't for you. That was my belief. So look at all my mates. They're robbing. They're selling drugs. Let me go and roll out with them and do the same thing. Because what, what choice do I have? Look at my ends. 
Look at my ends. Look at everyone in my ends. You know, maybe only a couple of people make it with being an athlete or whatever, but that's not me. That's all the shared mindset. Do you think all these guys joining gangs and all that really, really want to be on it? It's because they don't believe. It's their mindset, bruv. They've decided to throw in their chips all their beliefs that they are somebody and that they could make it and go with the easy route. And it's not really easy because it brings loads of pain. So it's not even easy. They just think it looks easy because it doesn't require discipline and sacrifice. But you know what? We can't escape that. Because even in the hustling world, if you're not disciplined to hustle and make money, you're not making no money. So you can't escape discipline, whether it's bad or using it for bad or using it for good. You can't escape it. I had to be disciplined. I had to get up in the morning. I had loads of gyros. We called it gyros back then. Loads of checks and stuff that I had to go and cash. I had to go and pretend I was this guy, this guy and that guy. I had to get up early, crack a dawn, get in the bank, get in the post office, do whatever. Whatever I had to do to get it done. If I had no discipline, I'd miss out on the opportunity. So you can't escape it. Whether you're trying to think it's the quick route uh, or the easy or hard, no matter what you call it, bruv, there's only evil and good path. Whatever you decide to do, you're still going to require discipline, sacrifice, planning. All those things are still required. So if you're going to do it, decide if you're going to do it for bad or decide if you're going to do it for good. But I want everyone to be aware of what they're doing. I'm not going to tell them what to do. Who am I to tell people what to do? I just want to know that you're aware of the costs of what you're doing. There's a cost to everything you do. There's a cost to riding out with your brethren. There's a cost to carrying a knife. When you pick up your mobile, you pick up your knife. There's a cost to deciding to box your girl. If you, if you have an argument, there's a cost, bro. Have you counted the costs? And I'll tell you what, bro, most people don't count the cost. It's the same as being a professional boxer, being a champion. There's a cost. Count the cost, bro. You might not be able to go and jam out with your friends. I used to hate summer at one time. Summertime meant I couldn't be chilling with my brethren on the corner because I'd be in the gym, bro. I'd be sweating buckets in the gym. I'd miss out on the fun. But guess what, bro? Who was clamoring to come and see me when it was fight time? Who was claiming that that's my brethren when Sky TV come and aired my fights? Do you know what I'm saying? Who wanted to be like me now? It was, you know, it, it, the tables turned because the cost of the sacrifice I paid was wonderful. My rewards were wonderful. The rewards for doing bad things are not wonderful. Count the costs, broken families, broken homes, um, death, uh, pe jail time, um, people just wasted their lives with a messed up mind. The cost of giving up. I love what you said about counting the cost. There's a lot of things there which you said to me which really resonate, especially the, the love. Um, once you love yourself, how can, how can you expect others to love you when you can't even tell you you love yourself? I think once you get to that mindset and that awakening, then you can go to the world in a correct way for people to love you and it shouldn't be arrogant to say that you feel great about yourself. <laughs> Another thing that, really, that you said that really kind of... Beautiful. ...that really buzzed me was the feeling of the fear. Yeah. I've had that. Your, your brother. Yeah. I was your brother, so I boxed, but the nerves got to me, and I'm no ashamed of saying that. Yeah. But the feeling of fear, embracing the fear, saying yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm scared, yeah. but it's okay to be scared. It's okay. 
What did you get from that book and how did you embrace it? How did you apply it to your day-to-day -day life? I had to. Um, the line that stood out was the fact that I could feel that fear. It was fine. And I could still get done what I needed to do and wanted to and desired to do. I could still do it. Because what I talked about before is fear makes you freeze. And it makes you feel that you can't do it. So what, what helped me to escape from that mental jail was the fact that I realised when I read the book, really, what it doesn't matter how it turns out, the fact that I felt it, I could still carry on and get the outcome. Even if I said, man, I pooped myself when I was out there, but no one found out, no one knew. But I, but I did, it was that bad, you know, I stammered over my words and people giggled, but I still done it. That's the reward, that's the great part of this. And what happens? My mum always said, son, what don't kill you is gonna make you stronger. So every time I faced fear, I got stronger. Every time I went out and boy, I, I had a love-hate relationship with boxing. Because when it was fight time, I used to wonder, why are you doing this job? I used to hate boxing. I swear other fighters have gone through the same thing. Mike Tyson used to get all emotional, cry and stuff like that. Nerves kicking in and all of that. I used to go through that as well. But when that bell went, boy, you just dealt with business because you trained yourself to perform in a certain way. And because of that training, you're going to go out and you can only do what your training allowed you to do. Because I knew that, okay, this goes, with, this goes part and parcel with the territory. Let me accept it and let me keep it moving. And I became WBO, IBF, Intercontinental Champion because I kept going back in the ring, feeling that fear and doing it anyway. So you just faced up to it every time? Faced up to it. And, and, and that was minor compared to what I had to face up to later on. Minor. In fact, that helped me because when I made my comeback in 2013, boxing was an absolute pleasure. There was no more warring and distress and fear. No more. It was all gone. Why? Because I dealt with something even more fearful. I dealt with something that was my worst nightmare. So how are you going to scare me now, bro? How? I saw my son, bro. I saw my son. That scarred me for life. Now I've held my mum's hand and breathed the last with her. July the 4th. Bro, what, what's scared? What was scared about what, bruv? I've gone through it. I held my baby's coffin like this, this small, just me one. And put it down. Broke my heart. Died in, 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 in his mum's womb. Six months in the going, had to still give birth. I've gone through stuff. I know death. I know fear. Um, I know pain. I know pain. But we run away from it all. We run away from it all. So how are we going to share the experience and empower other people if we keep running or we want to take our life and bloody do ourselves in? Bro, we've got massive stories to help others. We don't, this is a messed up world with beautiful people. Remember, we all got choice. Imagine if we all made the choice to live for good. One religion, 
Just choose to live for good. How about that? Don't deceive another man. Don't hurt another man or woman. Don't lie to another person. Don't do these things. If we all decide to live like that, what a planet, bro. That means we're not going to hurt animals. That means we're not going to grieve the earth and the planet and destroy it. We have destroyed this planet. We've destroyed all the beautiful things that God's made. Wrecking it. All for self-gain. All for self-gain. Thank God for the beautiful people that are still on the planet. And may they continue to have an impact on this earth because God, do we need them. Do we need more people to stand up for truth and stand up for right, righteousness, right doing. Instead of putting their own gains and wants ahead of others. You said something to me there which for me is probably one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard. Because it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you come from, or what religion you're part of, or what culture you, you know, your background is. You know, if you choose to live for good, just making that choice to live, everybody knows the difference between bad and good. Totally. And everybody can choose to live for good. Yes. You have been through some immense amount of pain. Like your story is built upon successes and a lot of pain. And you could choose to live for bad, but you've chosen to live for good, especially in the latter years of your life. Yeah. And that has kind of been rewarding in some ways that we haven't spoke about, but mm. you got an MBE, member of the British Embassy. Yeah, it was actually got, an OBE. Was it an OBE? Yeah, no, I'm not quite sure what the difference is between the two, um, but I know that they gave me an OBE in 2019. And a doctorate, so now you're a doctor. Yeah, they gave me an honorary doctorate. And um, I suppose it's about the years of work that you put in to be able to get an, an honorary doctorate, because I remember when they announced that They've been watching me for 10 years and the work that I've been putting in um, for, for the 10 years. And I was like, wow, okay. And they, were, they talked about um, them giving Martin, um, Dr. Martin Luther King the same honorary doctorate as well um, for, for his, his contribution uh, on, this, on this planet. Um, I think that's one of the most important human needs because we all have human needs and contribution is one of them. Uh, and that's one of the most important contribution. What have you contributed back to society? And the only way you can do that is if you make yourself of value. So what value have you placed on yourself? And forget money. You notice I never, I'm not talking about money. We know money's important, but money comes on the back of you putting value on yourself. You can put value on yourself by educating yourself. You can put value on yourself by developing a skill. You can put value on yourself by utilising your gifts. There's many ways of putting value on yourself. Helping people adds value to you. You know, you want to help people that are less fortunate than you. You've just added value to yourself. You know, and you draw people to you because of that. More people want to do what you're doing and know you. And, and then your platforms are developed and, and your influence is developed and people want you because you have value. So I'd say to young people, if you want to feel a, a, a part of society, put value on yourself, you know? A guy can speak, he can spit bars, he's put value on himself, next minute the media want him, next minute a, a, a company, a music company wants to sign him. But they didn't just do that for no reason, they've done it because he, he's added value to society. This might be a hard question for you yeah. because, you know, you've been through immense amount of different stuff. So to narrow it down to one specific answer yeah. might be just 
too much, but as best as you can. After everything you've been through, mm. you spoke a lot of truth here. A lot, you gave so much great pieces of, of advice. Yeah. Um, but one, one piece of advice you could give to somebody that you think was the most important to you through your whole journey, what would it be? <laughs> it sounds really simple, but it's so powerful because we all come to a point in our life where we feel to give up and um, the only way we're going to actually make it in life is being consistent consistency I've battled with that my whole life I battled with being consistent everyone wants to start stuff and they get excited. I started this new business. I started training. I started, I joined the gym. I've done this, I've done that. It's not the start. You get excited about completion. Most people don't complete what they've began. So what's the most valuable place on the planet? The cemetery, bro. Unfulfilled dreams, unfulfilled purposes, inventions that never came to, to bear fruit, um, people that had ideas that never came to life, um, maybe presidents, maybe prime ministers, maybe big businessmen are lying in the grave, never realise their true potential, maybe singers never realised songs that we never got to hear. Poems that were never written. Never hit books that we never got to read. Because you didn't stay consistent. You began, you fell away, you let life get to you, you let disappointments get to you, you, you didn't reframe things to empower you to move forward and finish the race. Finish the race. Have a vision, a plan, and finish the race that was given to you. That's amazing. Um, thank you for your time today. You could drop some absolute bombs of knowledge um, after this interview. It definitely, it's definitely had an effect on me. It's something that I would definitely take away, but I do really appreciate your time. Uh, man, I appreciate you guys. You guys are wonderful. Um, great atmosphere, great platform for me to be able to speak on. I really hope that it reaches many people and they get something from it for their own lives. Because my whole purpose here is to not allow pain to just stay as pain. We bury people, we go through pain and then we just cry. But where are the lessons we learn to change our life? Where are the people that we've impacted because we've been through pain? I don't just want to go through pain and just say, oh, just cry. It's got to mean something. And the only way it can mean something is if I share it and give it to someone and let them know, look, man, I got through this. You can too. Thank you so much to Mark Prince for doing this for us. And um, we was really excited to go visit him and, and hear his story. I've linked a lot of his stuff down below. Um, and depending on what platform you're on, but go on to Instagram if not if you can't see it and search Mark Prince and just check out some of his content and how he honors his son and the work he's doing. It's amazing. He's in schools, he's in boxing clubs, he's on the streets. Like this guy is um 
out there and it's very very powerful to see and it, it just reinforces the inspire change mission to us it's exactly what we're up to he has a different way of delivering it and we can all have that impact on other people today's video was made possible with your support at www.mulliganbrothers.com where you can get the all new momentum or poster a poster to remind you that time is precious use code podcast at checkout for 10% off the poster and frame and also you can get the t-shirts, hoodies, and journals at www.mulligamers.com where all the profits go back into creating this content. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everybody who supported us at the Jacob Mulligan Charity as well. I can't thank you enough. Have a blessed and productive day, and I'll see you in the next one. Peace. <laughs>